Professor Kelly Chibale, Professor of Organic Chemistry at the University of Cape Town. He's our guest this evening, quite a trailblazer in the space. Recently, he featured in Harvard's Public Health magazine, where he was ranked among the top 25 public health leaders on the continent and reflecting on the state of public health in Africa and his work in relation particularly to drug discovery and development that would have earned him the accolades. And of course, it comes in the era of the biggest challenge to public health. We're talking about COVID-19 and in the height thereof and in the immediate aftermath of. So certainly this is an accolade not to be taken lightly. Not saying this because it is Harvard that has recognized him. The fact that he holds the position that he does is accolade enough. But it is always important to be recognized, not just within one's territory, but also outside, particularly from the global West, where perhaps the recognition of African scholarship hasn't quite been forthcoming as it otherwise should. So, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. Many congratulations for this award. And it's a great honor and pleasure of mine to have you on the platform. Ongezo, thank you so much for your very kind words and good evening to you and to the listeners. I'm hoping that this will be an interactive session with our listeners participating on Johannesburg 714-2006 by way of call. But perhaps let us just start from the beginning in the broader context of public health, brother. What are we talking about when we're talking about public health and, and particularly the role the public itself has to play in ensuring the sanctity of a public health system, public health care program, or just the integrity of a nation's health by being vigilant or engaging in such civic engagement and advocacy programs to maintain the integrity without clinical intervention? Songezo, that's a very important question. And I think the best way to start is to unpack what public health uh, is. So when we talk about public health, uh, we broadly speaking talk about um, hygiene, in the broad sense, we talk about epidemiology, you know, and then we talk about disease prevention. And I'll start by saying that it's almost like a cliche, but it really is true that prevention is better than cure. So the role that we can play as citizens of any nation is to take measures that do not bring us into danger from infectious disease or unhealthy lifestyles. If it is infectious disease, which can spread very easily from one person to person, is to really just use common sense. Um, you know, for example, just washing your hands uh, regularly, um, you know, brushing your teeth before you go to sleep. The very things that we sometimes take for granted that I think COVID-19 as a pandemic reminded us uh, of the kinds of things that we could do to protect not just ourselves, but also protect um, our neighbors. Um, and I think that's the role that we can play as uh, citizens of a country. And, and, and of course, there are many stakeholders, the citizens, the, the corporates who have the capital perhaps to just part off with some of that money to create a better community from which they make their money. Of course, the fiduciary of all of this is government and the health cluster in particular. But any one of these many stakeholders 
in silo and sort of disengaged from the other or without coordination of the other, their best efforts are determined on the weaknesses everywhere else in this broader healthcare system. And perhaps from the South African perspective, this is what we, well, we always suspected for the most part, but it was certainly unequivocally clear that there isn't an integrated approach, for instance, to healthcare in this country and COVID explored and exposed all of that. How does a society from that position look to move its trajectory with a proper distribution of resources, engaging the right partners. For instance, I'm thinking everything that you have said in a South African context and in many African contexts hinges on just one simple thing, the language deployed to engage people to practice these habits. For instance. Yeah, Sungezo, public health is indeed public health. In other words, mm. all of us collectively, um, whether it's the private sector, whether it's the government or the citizens, that this needs to be and must be a partnership where each sector, each stakeholder plays its role. So the example that you gave of the private sector, for example, um, from purely, purely a business perspective, it's in the best interest of the corporate world to ensure that the workforce is safe and protected. Because obviously it's a no-brainer that when people fall ill, they cannot report to work, productivity is affected. But it's also a moral responsibility that we have, those who are blessed and privileged to have resources, to be able to distribute resources for the benefit of others. So if I think about innovation, for example, in this space that I operate in, um, so you innovate, let's say a product. For the sake of argument, it could be a vaccine for the COVID pandemic. Yeah. Um, that innovation uh, uh, is pointless without access. Um, in other words, the reason for doing what we do is to address unmet medical needs. And if we look at the South African context, representing the broader African context, is that if we don't improve the living conditions of our people, the basic living conditions, we are breeding those places, are breeding ground for diseases that are otherwise preventable. And I think COVID is just one of the stark reminders of the inequalities that have been brought about by society for all sorts of reasons. Where, for example, if you think about the pandemic and the lockdown that we had uh, in South Africa, Mm. there is no way that when you are in a township, you can physically or socially distance. That's impossible. Absolutely. And guess what? So if we don't improve the living conditions of our fellow human beings living in those townships, that pandemic is going to affect us as well because we're going to get infected because this is something that's transmitted from person to person as we interact. So it's in everybody's interest that we uplift each other, the social and physical environments in which people live. But it's always going to be a partnership um, between government, the private sector, and citizens. It's a contract that we have together. And I think that the language that we communicate Mm -hmm. out there is that we have a shared responsibility 
and therefore it must be shared responsibilities, mutual responsibilities, mutual accountability and mutual respect. Certainly, I don't take that away. And perhaps one of the voices that are critical in this shared and mutual accountability is the role academia and think tanks play in ensuring that, for one, there isn't this thing of information lag or information asymmetry, and perhaps to hold these other stakeholders more accountable because you come from uh, a non-profit perspective, if you like, or from a non-core mandate, as the public health sector would be, for instance. Now, looking at the work that you do at the H3D, that's the Drug Discovery and Development Center at the University of Cape Town, looking at the developments the world has seen in the last 18 months to two years in relation to vaccine rollouts, this would be in the drug category, if I might say, South Africa's developments in that regard with the investment of a South African billionaire, Patrick Sunshiong, the fact that the country should have had her own vaccine plant that was up and running, Gitlapila, from about 20 years ago. These are the things that are now you are seized within ensuring what were we supposed to have done as a nation? Where are we supposed to be had we done what we had supposed to be? Where, in fact, are we relative to the resource spend? What do the conditions on the ground require of us or where should we in fact be against all of this and now we have been hit as we have been hit money is coming through and all the political rhetoric coming through what is in the pipeline can you perhaps then talk to us about how south africa is responding or hasn't been responding post-covid i say post-covid because at least this is the world that we are more familiar with than say the 800 odd days living under these level lockdown restrictions from a clinical intervention, from a public health perspective, are you seeing what the nation should be seeing? Are we experiencing what we should be experiencing to ensure we cushion the landing a lot better than what it might have been in the last two years? Yeah, of course, long term, Sungezo, ultimately, uh, only time will tell. Um, I think that the Often when there's a crisis, uh, there is an immediate reaction to that crisis. And I think this is not the first crisis uh, that um, uh, has happened before. And, and I think, let me remind all of us and remind our listeners that um, the things that have been killing many of our people in Africa are things that people have not really paid attention to. We can talk about HIV, TB, etc., etc. And I think that if I look back to the Ebola epidemic, not a pandemic, it was an epidemic in West Africa. Not long the ago, response yeah. that we saw from that uh, epidemic was actually provided a blueprint of how we can respond to something like that of a public health emergency of, of that nature. And we saw um, the private sector uh, coming together with the public sector to solve that. And and I think to, to an extent, I think that those lessons from the Ebola were brought to bear on the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, the challenge has always been that we are reactionary. Mm-hmm. You know, so reacting when something happens. Um, and yet what happened actually should not be surprising because in Africa, we've been confronted with all these things almost daily where people think it's normal. You know, the scourge of infectious diseases, even non-infectious diseases that are really silent killers. But I think that looking forward, which is actually what we should be thinking about, is how to move forward and use the lessons of the COVID-19 pandemic, which 
by the way, has really shaken the health systems in Africa. And importantly, to your point, uh, um, that it's also really brought to the fore the importance of Africans not just strengthening the health systems, but also to really invest in science and technology so that we can respond at the level of innovation, whether it is producing, discovering, and producing manufacturing vaccines or therapeutics. So I think that this is really what the COVID pandemic has brought to the fore. And I think that I am very encouraged at the response, I think, both from government and, of course, the examples that you mentioned of the private sector, wanting to establish manufacturing facilities. And I think this is where government policy will become important going forward, because if you simply... More than policy, government implementation, surely. Yes, implementation as well, but also, so Gezo, to we have to incentivize local manufacturers. You saw what happened. This is in the public domain. This is not, I'm not saying something that yeah. is not in the public domain. At the end of May, we, I read in the newspaper, this was reported in, by the New York Times and other Western media, where Aspen, after getting the, um, the license from Johnson & Johnson to produce the vaccine, they were not getting orders. You know, they were not getting orders from the different um, countries in Africa. Now, there could be a number of reasons why that wasn't the case. I'm not shifting blame here and there. But, but the reality is, when it comes to government policy and implementation, we've got to make it a requirement and to prioritize local manufacturing. Otherwise, there are not going to be incentives for people to manufacture locally if people who choose to go to India or China. That, that is actually something that I think government can help with in terms of regulations and policies and implementation of those interventions um, that we're talking about here. So, so, yeah, but I think that the signs are encouraging, but let's not let our guard down because often when there's a crisis, people react to something and then, of course, we go back to our old habits uh, and then, you know, business as usual and then until we get hit by another tragedy. So I hope that these lessons will be will stay in our memories, uh, that we can move forward and prepare for the next pandemic. We have no excuse. You harbor hope that many South Africans do harbor. Let's take a, an inter- let's take a caller, shall we? Kelly, my prof- my guest, I beg your pardon, is Professor Kelly Chubale, Professor of Organic Chemistry at the University of Cape Town. Our caller this evening, Kelly, is a gentleman who's a friend of the show. His name is Scully, calling in from Durban. Good evening, Scully. Welcome to SFM. Thank you for calling. Good evening to you, Sengezo. Take it, take it, and and the professor there. Sengezo, it's like music to the ear hearing the professor, you know. We need leadership like his caliber. And this is what he's saying, you know, we're not doing enough for live for people for all our people we're not doing enough thank you for hosting him bye have a good day thank you very much i hope you did hear that kelly but the long and short of it he is worshiping the ground you're working on more to such stories and guests of your kind and caliber and perhaps to scully's point how do we ensure that the many marginalized and destitute people really not just from a policy perspective because i think south africa 
as has now been a refrain of times old, is not short on policy. Good policy even, and it stems from the Constitution to everything that is established in in the light of the Constitution. But I think there is a discord between what is desired by policy to those who are charged to effect the implementation thereof, and even after the fact, to monitor and sweep behind for best practices and lessons learned so that the society becomes more intelligent from the rollout of that, pro- of that policy. There clearly is a challenge in South Africa because you have inadvertently made the point that we are good at talking, um, let's hope that we learn the lessons, you are encouraged by the signs, but we are not talking at this point about things that are definitive, things that are delivered, things that we can now hold our head up high because we've done and look for better results in that regard. How do we ensure the point of accountability, ensuring that whatever lessons from times past are in fact learned and implemented and making where necessary and appropriate the, the hard decisions? Yeah, you know, I so guess your point actually reminds me of, uh, you know, when we talk about laws and rules, we are not short of good laws and rules. Um, the challenge is implementation of those laws. So, you know, whether it's, um, you know, the rule of law, um, you know, we have enough laws to do those things, but often it is one thing, by the way, again, when I go back to what I said earlier, this is always going to be a partnership. So first of all, clearly, clearly, government is elected by the people and it's for the people. That's exactly what we how we define democracy. Um, that is, it's a government of the people by the people. And so the mandate that our leaders have is to indeed uh, fulfill the mandate of the people that elect them into office. And so, so when it comes to policies, and again, I'm, I really don't have the authority to criticize because I'm not privy to every single policy and how it's being implemented. I'm sure that there are areas that we can point at where clearly there's been implementation and other areas where things could, could be done better. But I think that on two levels, um, this is, again, going back to the point I made earlier, it's mutual accountability. But it's also mutual responsibility. Sometimes, sometimes, not in all cases, where a policy is implemented, we find that the people who are supposed to be um, beneficiaries of that, you know, are not necessarily um, complying with the implementation. In other words, you know, Mm. it's the example that I gave earlier. You know, on one hand, you can give something. On the other, it has to be received. Um, by the person that you're trying to give, whatever you're trying to give them. So I think that a lot of what happens, the one way to hold anyone accountable for lack of delivery. So when it comes to elections, people must must vote, must judge people based on delivery of services that they promise to deliver. So I think that we as citizens also have a responsibility to exercise our rights when it comes to to elections. But it's also important, I think, to be able to acknowledge where progress has been made. And I think we can we can go the other extreme of just criticizing, 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 because sometimes the implementation of things may not necessarily depend on one country and one perspective. It, it might be affected by different factors, but this is where a lack of communication clear communication of 
why something hasn't been implemented uh, based on a previous promise. Uh, and so we get this perception that people just want to come and promise when it's time to for elections, for example. Mm. Um, so I think improving communication, I think is very important because I think people are understanding. Right now, we are going through load shedding uh, right now, right? But there is an explanation as to why we are going through load shedding. It's not something that we um, people are content about, but if there's an explanation, people understand. You know, I think people in South Africa generally are understanding uh, of this thing. So I think improving communication, uh, Songezo, is also, I think, one way that we can ensure that uh, we take stock of the, the implementation and the policies and, of course, hold each other accountable uh, based on mutual responsibility. Let me ask, this is a final question because mutual responsibility also comes in many forms and the work academia does. For instance, the platform that you lead, H3D, is an important voice for the public, for the effective distribution of funds that might come from the funding entity, particularly capital and foundations, and to complement the work of the public sector, which in many respects in African communities and countries will be overwhelmed by the fact that the resources are just not adequate to meet the demand. And the work that you have done, for instance, in relation to the anti-malarial drug is but a great example of the work your kind do. And I think this is an opportunity to lap up the work that you and your colleagues have done, particularly with the development of this anti-malarial drug, among others. Come on now, gloat. You are one of the top 25 voices in public health care on the continent. So go for it. Songezo, thank you for your kind words. So first of all, I think that we, all of us, have a responsibility to contribute something. In other words, you know, it's not blaming other people for. So what we have chosen with our colleagues is to do what depends on us to contribute uh, based on what we can do from the place of privilege that we have as being in academia. So what we've done, uh, as you say correctly, you know, we led an international team um, that really for the very first time uh, ever on this continent um, really put a malaria drug into human clinical trials from discovery. Uh, And I have to emphasize, this was always going to be an international partnership. But the key message is that it was Africa-led but importantly as well, mm-hmm. we spoke about this Songezo earlier about um, continuity and time will tell. Yes. What we've been able to create is infrastructure that we have now repurposed for TB and new antibiotics. We were just in April. Um, we became a Johnson & Johnson Global Health Satellite Center for uh, Global Health Discovery. Satellite Center for uh, Johnson and Johnson, and this is history. This is unprecedented. They've only set up three of these satellite centers for global health discovery across the globe, and we are one of those. And this is based on the infrastructure that we have built in Cape Town, that we can continue to make a contribution to humanity. Well, ours is to say, long live, may your star continue to shine and to grow. And may you next time be in the top 20 voices, top 15, top top 10, top 5, to being the top voice because I absolutely have no doubt that you have the capacity and the support there in Cape Town to be able to achieve that. Kelly, thank you so very much for your time. 
Songezo, my pleasure. Thank you for uh, having me on your show. Professor Kelly Chibale, Professor of Organic Chemistry at the University of Cape Town. Harvard's Public Health magazine names him as one of top 25 public health leaders in Africa. If you are listening, you have absolutely no reason to doubt why he would be there. 2136.